I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we read that and as we summarize and confess that in Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And in Lord's Day 24, we find the following, but why can our good works not be our righteousness before God or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness so far. After the sermon, we will sing Psalm 130, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. theme for the sermon is good works have no redeeming value, but they are not without any value. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon I'm going to start off with a question for the boys and girls. Do you know why the Lord created you? And saved you? Did he create you, place you on this earth, and send Jesus to die for your sins so that you could go to heaven? Now, if you don't really know the answer, you can ask your parents after the service, and they'll explain it to you. And I anticipate that they will be able to answer it for you because they're going to listen real well to the rest of the sermon. Maybe your parents already know the answer. And perhaps you do too. Because we all heard the short and simple answer given in Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we were created and saved for good works. And notice carefully the way the Apostle Paul words things. He says that we are God's workmanship. Literally, we are his work of art. So when you wake up in the morning and it's a quarter to five and you just can't wait to come alive, you not only brush your teeth, but you look in the mirror and the person that you see looking back at you was created by God with care and love and with a purpose. And that person that is looking back at you was 
put together with great precision. You were created and safe to do good works. Now, do you see yourself in this way as God's work of art? Maybe you don't. Maybe you have a very low and negative view of yourself. You don't like what you see when you look in the mirror. And you think you are the dumbest and the ugliest person walking on the face of the earth? You don't think yourself as a work of art, but you think yourself as a piece of work, as something you'd want to hide away in the back of a closet. Well, according to Ephesians 2, verse 10, you are not that. And you need to see yourself as something the Lord made beautiful. You are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus with your own definite purpose. So when you look in the mirror and see yourself as something other than a work of art, If you think of yourself as less than desirable, then you are to take yourself in hand and you are to tell yourself to stop it. You are God's workmanship, his handiwork. You are his work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what you are. And isn't that amazing? And note carefully what the Apostle Paul is telling us. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now we like to think the Lord had the best materials at hand when he created, saved us in Christ Jesus for good works. But he didn't at all. He had to work with people who are dead in their sins. He made a work of art out of zombies, out of the walking dead, out of dry bones. And that's what the first part of Ephesians 2 tells us. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul writes about how we are dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Are you following this? In in and of ourselves, we are in the ground, like dead, rotting, putrid corpses. But God came to us, and he revived us. And that is why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ rose from the dead victorious over death. He poured out his Holy Spirit so that he might enter us and make us alive. So that we might be his workmanship. A beautiful piece of art. And do you understand that this requires then an eternity of thankfulness on our part? Spiritually, we weren't even material to be recycled. But the Lord, through the work of Jesus Christ, turned us into an amazing work of art. Paul says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
This is why the Lord created us into a wonderful, wonderful work of art. This is why he saved you and me. He didn't save us just to give us a free ticket into heaven. The purpose of salvation is good works. That's the heart and the soul and the life of the Christian. This is why God saves us, so that we should do good works in order that we should glorify our God and Father. And we have to understand well that good works are not limited to work done in certain areas of life, like going on some short-term mission project or something like that. No, good works are something we do in every area of our lives. We practice it at work, at school, at home, in our families, in our marriages. Good works describe and define our life as God's people. So many people get this wrong, don't they? They think, this is my life. I can do with it what I want, whatever I please. But the gospel says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And of course, we need to understand that good works always arise out of true faith. True faith in Jesus Christ is what produces good works. Faith is what connects us to Christ. And so when we are connected to Jesus Christ and in union with him, what happens is that Christ is living in us. And he's doing the good works. He has prepared them for us, and we run with them. And so true faith in Jesus Christ is vitally important. Furthermore, good works always conform to God's law. Does that make sense to you? Everything we do has to fit within the boundaries and the parameters of who God is and what he delights in. God's good works are always done for God's glory. I don't do them so that I look good, but I do them for God. That his name be honored and his love and mercy and his work in, li- in my life be on display. We want his name to be honored, to be considered of the highest value. We want his kingdom advanced. We want the world to know that God reigns, that he sent his son to save, and that we have the privilege to do good works for him as he has prepared them in our lives. We are created for good works that God prepared beforehand. And let's unpack this a little further so that we be clear on the place of good works in the life of a child of God. And the first thing that we need to stress is this. Good works are non-meritorious. Good works do not and cannot contribute to justification. 
to our being declared righteous before God. But rather, they flow from it. They are the fruit and the result of our justification, of our being declared righteous before God. And we have to understand that good works are only made acceptable before God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Question. And this is a very human question. Why can't the good things we do for God and for our neighbor be counted as part of our righteousness before God? Wouldn't people act a lot more responsibly if we could say, you're not going to be saved unless you start doing some good and start living like a Christian. But our confession in Lord's Day 24 sets us straight. Good works have no redeeming value whatsoever. Boys and girls, you know that zero plus zero equals this many. No, it doesn't. It equals this many. Zero. And the same applies to our good works. You can multiply or add good works as much as you like, but they're not going to help you a fraction. Good works plus good works plus good works still equal zero when it comes to our righteousness before God. Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment seat must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. And our best works are defiled with sin. What would you consider to be the best thing you ever did? Cannot contribute to your righteousness before God. And that's why all our boasting must stop. All our boasting about ourselves and about our children must come to an end. For by grace we have been saved, and this is not our own doing, it is the gift of God. And that's the truth that sets us free. God's grace cannot be earned through our good works. It was earned through the one sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our deliverance. He is our salvation. And it is either all Christ or no Christ at all. There's no middle ground. Christ gives atonement through his blood. He covers our sins. So our life is entirely in Christ alone. And this was portrayed in all the Old Testament sacrifices and rituals as well. All those offerings of blood the Israelites had to bring before the Lord had one purpose. And that purpose was to impress upon Israel the forgiveness of your sins cannot be earned, but needs to be accepted as a gift from the Lord. 
We find in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, these words, I have given the blood to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. On the day of atonement, the Lord gives the blood that covers sin. God says to his people, this is for you, but without you. I put you out of commission. Your blood doesn't count. And the same message is contained in the sacrifices and the offerings that the people were to bring before the Lord. This afternoon, we read about the guilt and the sin offering. The guilt offering became necessary when one became guilty of sinning against the first and the second parts of God's law. And in the guilt offering, the person involved received the forgiveness for sinning unintentionally and forgiveness for any social offense, for having wronged his neighbor or for being the cause of human injury. And here the element of atonement or satisfaction of guilt was prominent. How could a child of God be declared righteous? How could his guilt be covered and his sin be forgiven? Would any of his works, would any of his deeds be counted worthy? And then it's important for us to pay attention to the procedure. The worshiper was allowed to do a considerable amount of things. He was allowed to bring his goat or lamb into the courts of the house of the Lord. The worshiper would lay his hand on the head of the animal, thereby confessing his guilt before the Lord. He was permitted to kill the animal. But there was one thing the worshiper was not allowed to do, to bring the blood to the altar. That was the priest's work. The priest was assigned by the Lord to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. And the priest's work foreshadowed the coming of the great priest, Jesus Christ. Christ would make atonement for his people through the shedding of his own blood. The priest, not the worshiper, was to take some of the animal's blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar the altar of burnt offering, and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. We read in Leviticus 4, verse 30. Brothers and sisters, with every sacrifice, the Lord impressed upon the hearts of his people reconciliation, salvation, atonement is not your work. You're left out of it completely. Forgiveness and righteousness, being in the right relationship with the Lord, are given to you because I give the blood of atonement. And now let's pull the line through to the new dispensation. When all the shadows have fallen away because we dwell in the full light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God presents to us His His Son, Jesus Christ, His one and only Son, 
for the expiation and forgiveness of our sins. His blood is acceptable because all his work is perfect and in complete agreement with God's law. Our Savior was lifted high on a cross so that we and the whole world should know it that his blood alone cleanses us from sin. Our works have no saving value. In the Old Testament, the priest had to smear the blood of atonement on the altar of incense too. And as you know, incense symbolized the prayers of God's people. And that tells us that our prayers, which are the chief part of our thankfulness before God, need to be covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. Our prayers are only heard for Jesus' sake. We like to think that our best efforts have some value for salvation and that God will then respond to us, welcome to heaven, you've done your best. So often we try to bring something to God's altar. If it is not with our prayers, then it is with our piety and with our good principles. But let it be clear that Jesus plus me equals Jesus plus nothing. He has to do it all. And his life must become my life. And God often has to break down many of our works so that we should learn more and more to lean on him so that we should learn more and more to glory in what he has done for us and not in our own accomplishments. The grace of God needs to cover our lives every day anew. Daily, the blood of Jesus Christ must cover our lives. Brothers and sisters, do not ask anxiously what is the minimum amount of work that God would ask me to do so that I may be assured that I belong to him. We can search all we like, but we will not find anything worthy of God. Yet in that situation, I as a child of God hear grace. Christ declares to me, I set you free. Come to the gathering of my people where you hear that gospel And where you go to work with my benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. And the unconditional love of God is with you. And the communion of the Holy Spirit is with you so that works which have no value in obtaining salvation are nonetheless of value in God's service. So, good works do not have any redeeming value. But that does not imply that our works have no value at all. A question often asked, even by believers, and maybe it would be better to state mostly by believers, is if all the guilt of believers' sins is imputed 
transferred to Christ on the cross. And Christ's perfect righteousness is imputed, transferred to believers. Why does the Bible speak so often of a judgment according to works? And indeed, Scripture does teach that all men shall be judged according to works done in the flesh. The psalmist writes in Psalm 62, you render to each one according to his work. And the climax of the book of Ecclesiastes is fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing whether it is good or whether it is evil. And Jesus emphasized the coming of judgment of all people in his teaching ministry. He said, for example, in Matthew chapter 16, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. And the same Apostle Paul who wrote that we are justified by faith alone apart from works of the law also wrote, God will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient endurance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. And the statement is only a chapter away from Paul's detailed explanation of justification by faith, by grace through faith. Beloved, Paul is not speaking in the abstract, but is describing what God will actually do on the day of judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of God, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And when the Apostle Paul discusses the judgment of believers and the receiving of rewards, he makes it very clear that first, good works do not contribute at all to one's salvation. And second, the reward for good works can only come to those who are in Christ. And the most detailed passage in the New Testament showing how we will be judged according to what we have done is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the verses 11 through 15. There Paul says that there is no other foundation that anyone can lay than that which is laid in Christ Jesus. And good works are built on this foundation. The foundation of Christian behavior is the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. One must be in Christ Jesus before one can do works which please God. And this point is supported throughout Scripture. And since it says that all our works are tainted with sin and imperfect, 
the only works that could possibly receive a heavenly reward are works founded on Christ. He who concerns himself with the relationship between works and reward must keep a steady eye on God's mercy in Christ. Otherwise, we'll get lost in a maze of legalism and works righteousness. The whole system of works righteousness comes crashing down in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 15. Where the apostle writes, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The apostle is discussing Christian works which do not endure God's judgment. The fire of judgment doesn't purify the worker, but rather judges his workmanship. And Paul uses the comparison of two types of materials to describe the quality and enduring nature of a believer's work done for Christ. There are imperishable materials, good gold, silver, and costly stones, which endure and survive the judgment And there are perishable materials, wood, hay, and stubble, which do not endure. They're all burned up. But note that even if a Christian's work is completely consumed on the day of judgment, the person is still saved. And what this means is that a person's works have nothing to do with salvation. Remember, works are built on the completed foundation, Jesus Christ and his perfect, accomplished redemption. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's warning is directly directed primarily to ministers of the gospel in the way that they fulfill their task. But some general principles can be learned from this. What distinguishes work that endures from work that does not endure? Work that is based on human wisdom or is done in pride? Work that is not based on God's word but is built upon human opinions and traditions will in the end all be burned up. It is useless for the furtherance of the kingdom of heaven or the edification of the church. Many try to build the church with worldly wisdom, be it the philosophy of the age, be it business techniques, entertainment, church growth gimmicks, and whatever. And many people who have been seduced by the world's wisdom are genuine believers. But on the day of judgment, their work will be exposed for what it really is, merely human, vain, and useless. Their work does not endure, for it was worthless for the kingdom. Yet they are saved. 
Judgment according to works does not at all support the idea of human merit in salvation. When believers come before the judgment seat of Christ, there is no possibility for them of going to hell. There's only the possibility of their work being destroyed. Judgment according to works for the believer does not indicate an alternative way of salvation besides justification by faith, but does indicate the need for good works to be in accordance with divine revelation so that all that we do may not serve ourselves but may serve the Lord's purpose and give glory and honor to His name. And such works must arise from true faith. The doctrine of justification by faith apart from works That does not make us careless and wicked then. For he who is controlled by the love and the grace of God will not openly wish to do things that displease the Lord. For it is impossible that those who are grafted into Christ, who are united with him, whose identity is with him, should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Christ is not only our righteousness, but also our holiness. He causes fruits of faith to ripen in us, resulting in a desire to live not only according to some, but according to all the laws and commandments of God. And such faith ought to be seen alive in us personally. A theologian of the last century once wrote, the number one cause of atheism is Christians. Those who proclaim God with their mouths and deny him with their lifestyles is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. Well, let this never be said of you and me. Men and women of faith, who live by the grace of God, are called to be eager and diligent in doing good for the glory of God. There's no point where we can call it quits. The Word of God spurs us on. Be holy as I, the Lord, am holy. Be perfect as I, the Lord, am perfect. And since we have these promises of God's grace Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and make holiness perfect in the fear of God. Brothers and sisters, you are God's workmanship. And now you know why you were created, why you were saved. It's for good works to God's glory. Amen.